Welcome to the IQ Meets EQ podcast. I'm Jackie Broman, Principal Solicitor at TBA Law and CEO of Legally Wise Women. And I'm here with Ush Danik, former corporate lawyer, then head of HR, and now an emotional intelligence coach. Good morning, Ush. Morning, Jackie. How are you going? I'm well. You've been sick. Yeah, I have. Like, I can't remember the last time I've had like a week off work. <laughs> yeah. And that's so unlike you. And it's all because of the apartment apartment and the mold saga but um yeah we get to move a week on monday which is which is really exciting do you know funny enough i was going to the doctors yesterday and i drive out of the um apartment and in front of me is this massive ass van and it says mold doctor on it i'm like oh my god like now you guys are doing something because people are falling sick. It's just ridiculous. But yeah. Yeah. But apparently, I was talking to people, there's a lot of mold in Sydney. Like, it's not just where I am, obviously, but mm. it's like, what about you guys? Have you, have you got mold? We don't have as much moisture down here. Like, it's more of a drier sort of environment. So even when it rains, it's not like we have high humidity afterwards. So it mm. just... It just dries or seeps into the ground. So, no, we really don't. <laughs> but I imagine in Sydney there's so much rain around that nothing is getting the chance to dry and there's, the moisture's all creeping up the walls of things because the earth is so full of water. It is. It is. Yeah, so the next week we'll be just focusing on packing and mm. getting stuff done and then being in a new place. Yeah. And like you said, the change with the moon so yes that's yes. right this moon phase we were saying like we're we're getting so woo woo whoosh yeah we are <laughs> yeah it's been a tough couple at well even from the last full moon but anyway yeah um, yeah hopefully it all turns around or we just we've learnt from the challenges that we we've been up against totally mm. yeah mm-hmm. Mm. So we went live with new practice management software. So that's been a little tough. Migration's always tough and things don't quite work the way you're told they will work. And it takes longer to do everything that you want to do, but it's settling down now, which is good. And you can see where we're able to head with this new software because it's integrates the easier and it does have a lot of faster aspects so mm. just the learning curve and throwing my team into change when there was so much turmoil mm. anyway but mm. it can't happen when things happen you, you know you can't help when they happen because we'd planned this software you know it's been a nine-month project or something and of course everything else happens all at the same time but they've mm. handled it really well so <laughs> But there's, there's never a right time for it, really, is there? It's like you'll just, you know, adapt and work through it and, you know, at least it's done. There's that relief that you've started it and gone through it. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And it hasn't been a complete disaster. I've heard of people that have moved to stuff and they probably didn't do their due diligence beforehand and then had to move back. So it's nothing like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're going to stick with it and keep it. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. definitely. Yeah, so that's oh, it's the completion of nine months. It's it's actually is good to reflect on that. It's been a big project. Could have had a baby in that time, Jackie. Well, Literally. Sarah did. Yeah. 
That's right. I'm, yeah, I'm birthing at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so how, are you still rounding and things or that sickness is no, pushing I, through? I've just been pushing through, but instead of the three for each, I've just done the one at the beginning. Yeah. So it shortens the practice by about 35 minutes or half the time. Yeah. So, but still doing it. August 26th is 108 days. Wow. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Great. Shall we jump in to have a listen to the interview? This yeah. Let's do around. that. Yeah. Uh, so I interviewed Fran Pratt. She's been someone that has worked with my team for a few years. And in fact, I met her through the organization, her business. It was, it is a, a group for women in business. And she's one of the early people that I met at the, in the Melbourne group. And I think when you listen, I was attracted to her energy because she's almost the complete opposite to me in many ways. She specifically works with businesses about selling and client experience, which is why we've engaged her to sort of teach my team some sales tips and to really think about the client experience she hates that sales is often a dirty word, particularly for women as well, because we shy away from it. But yeah, let's jump in and have a listen. So Fran, I'm really, really excited to welcome you to the IQ Meets EQ podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Jackie. <laughs> we were just thinking how long we've known each other and it must be six or seven years. And you've been working with my team for close to four and as I said, that's why I'm so excited because I think I know you well, but this is going to dive a lot deeper. So that's what has me excited. Yeah, it might scare you a bit too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. What did you want to be when you were growing up? Oh, uh, look, have I grown up? <laughs> I'm 51 in March. And look, I've never really had any idea about what I wanted to be. And I think I think that's an advantage. I, I, I'm not sure about that, but <laughs> I just, I, I never had a set, I want to be this or that. I, I seem to chop and change every couple of weeks and that hasn't stopped. I like diversity. I like lots of different things. And so I, I, I've never wanted to be pigeonholed. <laughs> No one could pigeonhole you if they knew. <laughs> well, and I think I was surrounded by five kids in my family and all of the other kids knew what they wanted to do. Like they were pretty definite. And I kind of feel like, not that I knew my mum and dad when they were little, but they were kind of the same, that it was just like a natural progression. And... I often felt like a bystander in my family because I would look at them and go, well, how does that happen? <laughs> how do you know what you want to do? What does that feel like? <laughs> yeah, because uh, you've spoken many times before about a lot of your family members being lawyers and so you have a, a pretty good understanding of the sort of people we are <laughs> and what we do. <laughs> Bless you. I love you. Um, yeah, my twin sister is a lawyer. My mom is a lawyer. So not just, yeah, and so both of the dominant females in my growing up were both lawyers. Was your twin sister dominant? No, but 
I suppose, dominant in the sense that I spent a lot of time with them. Yeah. No, I'm, she walked first and I talked first. (laughs) Not surprising. (laughs) And nothing else has changed in 51 years. (laughs) All right. So tell me about your career progression then. Sort of what did you really enjoy in the last few years of school and then uh, what did you do for tertiary and onwards? <laughs> well, <laughs> for year 11 and 12, Ali, who's my twin, Ali and I were sent to boarding school. And the truth is that by the time of it, end, end of year 12 and we were all filling out forms for uni and blah, 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 I had no idea. And I was sitting next to Danielle. And so I actually just filled in the same things that she filled in. So when I say I no idea what I wanted to be growing up. I literally zero idea in year 12. So that was really interesting. So I did end up getting accepted actually into two courses, one in New South Wales and one in Queensland. The one in New South Wales was a Bachelor of Music in radio. So it was actually, I had to do a tacit for all those young people. That's a little thing that you record things on like a radio show or like a little mini radio show and I sent it in and the other one was a business degree majoring in hospitality so I often you know it's like sliding doors I often wonder what would have happened to me if I'd done that radio because I have a good voice for radio I could you know I could have been a radio star anyway I ended up doing the hospitality course but Ali and I lived in Brisbane for a year after school and we both got jobs and she obviously got a job in a law firm. <laughs> and then I think that the really great thing about having that, what they call now a gap year, it was never called that when I was in black and white, was that it helped me understand what the value of education was. Because I saw people who were, you know, 30, 35, 40 doing entry-level jobs in cafes and those sort of things. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not what I wanted. And so that inspiration allowed me to apply myself to university. And I think the interesting thing is growing up, I had all of these brilliant, I, I, I call them with great love and affection, my family, they're high nerd. So I was surrounded by high nerd and they were like top one, two percent of the state in everything they did and I was I just got enough to get into uni and there's nothing wrong with that but at the time when you're 16 17 18 you know I really felt like a failure so when I went to uni and applied myself I got distinctions and high distinctions and that sort of stuff so it was kind of a self-validation thing and then I went and worked because it was a hospitality degree I went and worked uh, I moved to Sydney and worked in the Ritz-Carlton in Double Bay So the really interesting thing about that is they were the first service-based business to win a Deming Award, which is about total quality management. And I was part of that. I I helped to do the TQM in our department. And I really enjoyed the ethos that, so for example, the Ritz-Carlton have a saying, they have lots of sayings. They have the credo and then they have 20 things that they live by. But one of them is, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, which I really like. So it, just because you're in a service 
job doesn't mean that people can treat you like poo. So a lot of my customer centricity stuff comes from that hospitality background. But then I got sick of getting paid nothing, working weekends, and I saw a job ad. You know how they say women never apply unless they can do everything on the, that's not me. So maybe I'm not a woman, but I really am. But it had all these things that I didn't have and I went, oh, I'll give it a go. And I got the job as a salesperson for a computer software company that, de- that dealt with hospitality businesses. So that was my first, so I think that was 96, my first move into sales. And then not even 12 months later, I was offered a job in Melbourne. I was living in Sydney at the time. And I'd met this this man at a trade show. His stand was next to ours. And he rang me a few weeks later and said, I want to offer you a job. And I said, I've got one. (laughs) I have a job. Anyway, he said, well, fly down to Melbourne. I'll fly you down. So, you know, here I was in my 20s feeling a bit like a rock star, someone calling me in, and it was a better job, better pay, better blah, blah, And but I knew no one in Melbourne. So anyway, I moved down and, you know, I spent five years in that business and basically I was never set a sales target, but I just doubled my sales every year and when I finished, I... I brought in about $3.7 million in the last year that I was there. Uh, and this is a small business. And so I, I wanted to try something completely different. And this is often my way. You know, I, I, want, I want something different. The problem is when you're talking to recruiters, unless, you know, they can tick the little box that says you've got experience in XYZ, they don't. You don't go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, and I've flipped that on its head now that I'm helping people look at salespeople because I say to them, look, if they've got the right attitude, if they can do the activity and they have a fit with your customer, then you can teach them the words and phrases and things around your industry. And that's what I actually showed you know, I, I moved into software still, but in the education space. And I quickly became their top salesperson. And, you know, it's this is another pattern that's kind of happened. Every time I went into a new business, I would completely remodel their sales process because I'd go, well, that doesn't work. That's stupid. I didn't say stupid to them, but I just sort of went, oh, okay, yep, let, no, let's change that. Because you've got to sell in a way that makes it sense to customers. I don't care if it makes sense inside the business. Well, I do, but I don't. I remember a really good example of that, actually. I can talk forever, Jackie. Anyway, a really good example of that is I was working for this business and they had decided that they would only issue an invoice after the person had paid. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. And we were dealing mostly with accountants. And so this client said to me, I don't pay without an invoice. And I had a standout brawl, not brawl, but, you know, no 50 cuffs, fight with the business owner. And I said, this client wants to give you money. 
They want to sign up with us, but you're not going to put it into your accounting system in case you have to delete it if they don't pay or whatever. I just, I didn't understand. Anyway, I got that changed. And <laughs> yes. And then I um, started working in my own business. Oh, well, I'm part owner in an IT business for about four or five years. That was interesting. That's a, that's a whole other story. And then for the last 10 years, I've been working for myself in doing sales consulting and just working with all these different amazing people. So I've helped a flavors business, a calendar business, an artist, graphic designers, web, IT, financial services. It doesn't matter because to me, the process is the same. Let's dig into your customers. Let's really understand what makes them tick. And then we can help you help them. Because that's what, yeah, anyway, I can talk forever. <laughs> Where did the MBA fit in? Oh, so I did that part-time. Yeah. So while I was working for other people and a bit when I was part owner in the IT business, I did, first of all, a graduate certificate in change management. And then because sales is all about change, it's getting other people to change. And then an MBA at Melbourne Business School. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Now, before we started recording, we were yeah. very much talking around the skills of the salesperson versus the skills of someone in management. And it's very similar when I said, well, skills of an engineer versus the skills of management. You said, well, it's the same with salespeople. And that blew my mind because I thought salespeople had more of those skills that management might need. But but no. So tell me, tell me about this. Well, I think the difference is because I think sometimes why while technical experts don't fit into management is around the people skills, right? Mm -hmm. But you would nat naturally assume that, that a salesperson has good people skills because mm -hmm. they kind of have to. I think the difference with salespeople into management is salespeople by necessity have to live on the fringe of the organisation. They have to be the white knight that kind of separates the client from the company. And the reason I use the term white knight is because sometimes you have to protect the client from the company, like that example of the invoice, you know, but equally, sometimes you need to protect the company from the client. You know, let me think of an example. Oh, you know, people are rude to IT people all the time, right? So when I was working in IT, I would often call a client and say, listen, this person's trying to help you. So if you can't control you know and can't ask for things nicely then maybe we just need to tear up this contract so it's it's that kind of role that sits between the two and I think there's a lot of salespeople who are better at the client side stuff than the internal stuff and that's why there's often a um a clash between the salespeople and the technical people or the salespeople in the marketing department so they don't naturally fit into the organisation. So they resist things like reporting and those sort of things. So whilst they can make that transition, because they're more client-centric than, than internally focused, they're not necessarily as good as managing themselves. And, and I think the other thing that, particularly if they're high-performing salespeople, they don't understand why Joe Bloggs doesn't get it. 
they don't they, they're not able to translate what they've done to tasks and skills that another person can absorb mm-hmm. yeah um, I love that you have dive so deeply into understanding so many elements of how other people function. And um, I know that you've gone on and done extra accreditation for, you know, disc profiling and and really in-depth looking at people's, uh, the way they operate. It sounds like you innately had a fair bit of that and have now got some kind of framework to use for it because yeah. that just sounds like the way you've described there. So is that something you've built or um, is it innate or how does that fit with yours? I think a bit of both. I think going back to my childhood, my family were introverts. Mm -hmm. I was not. I wanted to interact with the world. My twin sister always knew that she didn't want to smoke and drink and hang out with the wrong people. And I thought, well, how do you know? How do you know if you don't try, you know, don't tell anyone marijuana or blah, blah, or blah, blah. How do you know whether you like it or not? Like I'm experiential. She was just definite. She didn't need to do that. I did. And so often what happened was um, I would translate for them into the real world, right, because they're living in their own world. So I was this connector translator person and, and, and that morphed into my work life where I was often saying, well, what they really mean to say is, this and this and this, because I almost inherently understood where that uh, high nerd idea was coming from. And I think that whilst I didn't accept it as, you know, when I was younger, I'm highly intelligent. And so I can quickly pick up what's going on both on an emotional, functional level and uh, um, intelligence level. So I've often sat you know, high nerds back on me. And I go, what you're really saying is this, this, and this. And they're like, how did you do that? (laughs) I'm like, I remember I was working for, uh, doing some sales training for a mining company. It wasn't mining. They they supplied the platinum and equipment to uh, measure the ore coming out of the core sample, really highly technical. So I was talking to, you know, doctor such and such with a phd and that was their sales team they were like high tech anyway and i put together this training and i spent three or four hours training them on all of this stuff and one of the guys said to me at at one of the breaks how long have you been reading into this and i said oh well you know this guy gave me a couple of bits and pieces and i did a bit of research on your website and he goes but you really sound like you know what you're talking about And I think that takes me back to my childhood again because I remember when I was about 12, anyway, around there, my twin sister said to me, you're dangerous. I know, I was so intrigued by that. I thought, awesome, I'm dangerous. I was thinking about a T-shirt with Big D on it and I said, why? Why am I dangerous? And she said, well, I know what you know and I hear you talking to other people and you don't lie, but you say what you say with so much confidence that people think that you know more than you do. And I went, awesome. <laughs> so and I, there's so much nuance in and so much that we read from how people speak. 
um, and their body language. And I think we misconstrue. We understand logically, well, maybe don't people, people don't know, but in communication, only 7% of what is communicated is the actual words. Seven, that's nothing. So this is why emails and other things get highly misinterpreted because anyway, and but the vast majority, 58%, is body language. So n- completely nonverbal. So you get some of that back in a Zoom environment, but when you're face-to-face or nose-to-nose with someone, you can see what their feet are doing. You can see the little flicks of their eyes. The problem with Zoom, not the problem, Zoom, I love you, but is that people spend more time looking at themselves than they do at the other person. (laughs) Well, it's true. Mm. You kind of, even if you're not conscious of it, your eyes always flicking back to yourself. Yeah. And so you miss so much in th- those nonverbal cues. And it's, if it's 58% of the communication, you're missing a, a big chunk potentially of what's going on. So you have to be quite disciplined. But, you know, and the bit in the middle is that tempo, the sound, the timbre of your voice, and that can be changed just by how you sit. You know, so delivering a message in a way that people are willing to hear it is a real skill. You know, it's not the gift of the gab. It, it's so much more nuanced than that. I think that's what I've learned from you about sales as well. It's more about the client experience than the sale. It is about how you describe and how you make them feel and how you address what they're feeling and all those things. Mm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And as, Jackie, you know this, but your listeners might not. So for anyone who's heard me speak before, I'm in love with The Wizard of Oz. And what I say to people is, your client is Dorothy. She's the youngest woman ever to star in a movie. She's actually the first woman to be a star of a movie. The dog is paid more than she is. The first time going from Technicolor to, uh, sorry, from black and white to Technicolor. And, you know, notwithstanding, she's left her family. She can't find them. She's been in a storm and she's killed someone. And then she's surrounded by these little weird people that she can hear and but can't see. So how does she feel? terrified overwhelmed yes Mm -hmm. and then people want to sell to her right and go right you've got to go to emerald city see the uh, wizard he's not really a wizard but don't worry about that no 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 our first job is to get her off the porch just pop those lovely ruby slippers on darling that'll be fine and then we introduce her to the weird little people And then once we've had a little bit of a song and we're kind of starting to be acclimatised, then we can just introduce the concept of the yellow brick road and the idea that at the end of that yellow brick road, there may be a solution for her, but she's got to travel that and she might meet people along the way and they might be friendly or not. And then she's got to deal with flying monkeys and fields of opium you know, this journey is hers. 
We can guide her. We can help her. We, as the salespeople, are Glinda, the good witch of the north, just in a fabulous frock floating down in a bubble. So we know all, but we only share what she needs to know. Um, and I think when we, when we can really focus in on our customer, that's when we're doing service. You know, sales is service. It's not pushy and icky and um, trying to get my way. A great sale is helping someone on a buying process so that they understand it's a good decision for them, whether that decision is yes or no. So it's divorced from the outcome. It's all about having a beautiful process. It makes it so accessible to those people who previously thought, you know, I don't have the gift of the gab or thought that sales was something that had to be pushy because particularly for introverts and you grow up around them so you know them, we are quite often very self-aware and aware how other people are feeling emotionally. And so you can then have more of a, a deeper conversation about a sale in the context of a client experience than thinking I have to be extroverted, I have to be someone that I'm not and all of that. Absolutely. And, mm. you know, there's some brilliant salespeople, very successful salespeople that are introverts, that are extroverts, that are pink, that are purple, that are, you know, it doesn't matter. I, I, I've got two rules in selling. One, be yourself. So if you're analytical and like to dive deep into things, then do that. If you're more surface and then you, whatever it is, do it. And the second rule is you've got to get over yourself. So you've got to, you've got to give things a go. You've got to try things out. You've got to, if sales is, a, is an art form that is very much lived in front of the client. You cannot learn to sell from a book or a classroom. It's experiential. And that's the only way you get to learn how to focus on the client experience is by allowing yourself to be open to that. Yeah, it, it was very, it was a point where my mind just was able to change and open up um, after a couple of years in business and then meeting you. I think I did your kiss to sell stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's all been put to bed, but the kiss to sell stuff. But, mm. uh, but still, I'm still doing coaching one-on-one with people who want to do it. And yeah, I just, I love witnessing that transformation, that light switching on in people's eyes. It's beautiful. Yeah. That's definitely something that shines through and the way you nurture people to be able to come at something and express something a different way sort of like your sister said, like your ability to articulate things and sound super confident is is certainly a gift, but you're obviously able to tra- train others and to impart that. So pretty special. Yeah, I think it's one thing to help people think about what a script might look like for them. And I don't mean a script as in, you know, reading it verbatim, but it's quite another thing to show them that they can do that, that they can deliver that. Yeah. And briefly before we started recording as well, you talked about social intelligence and we haven't spoken about that much on the podcast because we do tend to roll it into emotional intelligence a bit, but it sounds like you've certainly got social intelligence in spades as well. (laughs) 
Yeah, my mum used to say, well, she still does, that I'm the icebreaker. So she reckons that you could put me in a room with 20 people who don't know each other and I'll get everyone talking. (laughs) (laughs) So, and that's that connecting, you know, that connecting ability that I talked about with the salesperson, you know, that bit over there. Oh, look at that over there. And, oh, that person was interested in blah, blah. And so is that person. Right, there's that one. (laughs) Yeah, but it's more than that. It's also you can quickly peg what a person's like and then meet the needs of that person. And to particularly to be someone like your family who, you know, is introverted naturally and quite in my head, to have someone who could quite quickly work me out and articulate (laughs) that, (laughs) it's very refreshing. It draws you out very quickly. Yeah, and I suppose because I'm naturally a really good people breeder, but because I was surrounded by people who were introverts who weren't necessarily good, not good, but they don't wear their heart on their sleeve, I've, you know, become excellent at reading people. And also what it ends up meaning is that I often get things out of people or they want to share things with me that they've perhaps never shared before. And so that's quite humbling really, is. to be in that situation. But what yeah. a superpower at the same time. Oh, yeah, but, you know, it's, I've just gone all busy, but it's, it's a bit like anything, you know, you just you have to use it judiciously and you have to, uh, you know, going back to that idea of the white knight, you have to be clear about your intentions and, mm. and then how you use that information or, mm. or don't, you know. Mm. <laughs> mm. Lucky you're so ethical. Yeah, most Mm. of the time I like to Mm. think, Mm. yeah. (laughs) All right, so we're going to try this question. Okay. With everything that you've learnt, is there anything you'd go back and tell your 21-year-old self? What advice would you give to her? Maybe just be braver. I feel like as time's gone on, I get braver and braver and I care less about what other people think, not in a negative way, mm. but just in a really, I think being a people reader, sometimes you can care too much about what other people think. So I, I would just encourage her to back herself and, you know, she's got an excellent gut for a reason. Mm. Yeah. And that it all works out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The good, the bad and the ugly, it all makes us who we are. Yeah. You know, diamonds are beautiful because they have and they shine because they have flaws in them. You know, that's okay. Lovely. That's lovely. What do you then do, whether it's a daily basis or a weekly basis, to check in with yourself to make sure that you are being as self-aware as you can be or that you're well, what do you do for yourself? Yeah, so I think I've got a few tools in in that little cabinet. I think I like to get up early before kids get up. I was always an early riser before kids, but particularly with kids because that's my time. I like to meditate. So normally on on a normal day, I'll get up, 
do my meditation, do my Bible reading, just spend some time with me. I also like to walk the kids to school because that's a chance to connect and sometimes they'll tell you things while they're walking that they won't tell you, you know, in the bustle of meals and this and that. I don't always walk them home, but I like to do that too for exactly the same reason. (laughs) It means that by the time we walk in the door, I've had a chance to unwind, they've had a chance to unwind. So I think, you know, spending time on your own is really important. But also if you have a person around you who's like that barometer or litmus test, that's really good too, and giving them permission to call you on your bullshit. I remember a boss I had years ago, he used to say to me, Fran, your wheels are spinning because I'd get into that thing <laughs> and he could see it and he'd just say that and I'd, I'd, that, that would be it. I'd be out of it mostly. But that's a real gift if you have someone around you that you can encourage to just notice those bits and pieces that happen when your wheels are spinning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. that's a good one. And someone who, you know, you have some kind of language with that you can quickly just like yeah. just notice this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I remember someone, I often use the word pineapple because I remember someone telling me this story about uh, a husband and wife and they had a particularly tricky baby that was just awake every night. And so they decided to take it in turns looking after the baby but they found that they were both tired and they were fighting all the time and but it was really because they were both anxious worried tired etc so they decided anytime they were referring to this tiredness etc etc they'd use the word pineapple and so it was the husband's to wake up you know to to look after the kid if it woke up which it invariably it was colicky or something anyway poor poor people anyway and so the wife wakes up one night and it's two o'clock in the morning and she can hear pacing so her husband's got the baby pacing up and down the hallway and he's just going pineapple 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 and I just thought that's so beautiful you know just an escape word that that because often if you're in a close relationship it's so easy to knock, you know, at the other person and get narky and just to have that release word that says, I'm cranky. It's about that thing over there that's, that's you know, I, I still love you or I still want to be around you, but I'm frustrated with that, whatever that is. So, yeah, I just encourage people to think about what that might be in their relationships and give the other person, you know, talk about having a word or, or give the other person permission to call you on things because sometimes, and I find this, I'm such a strong, confident person. People think, oh, I can't do that to Fran. And I'm like, no, no, do that to me. I, I want you to call me on things. Like uh, when I worked in IT, I'd often take the technical folk out with me and um, they were used to salespeople wanting their egos stroked. So the technical people were not allowed to say anything. But I would encourage them and I would say to them, listen, sometimes I make mistakes. And so if I make a mistake in front of the client, I want you to call me out on it in front of the client. And so they thought this was a great game. And I loved it because I don't want to be, I'm not infallible. You know, 
And I'd rather correct it in front of the client and show the client the type of relationship I have with the engineers than, you know, gloss over some sort of, you know, you know, idiotic thing that I had said that was clearly wrong for the sake of faith, you know. So, yeah, the guys used to really love calling me out. <laughs> no, Fran, actually, that's wrong. Like, okay, great, well, tell me what's right. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That is because, again, if a client's sitting there going and knowing otherwise as well, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it, well, it's just honest. Mm. you know mm. uh, honest about you know from an ego perspective from a uh you know a literal perspective yeah uh-huh. <laughs> oh Fran thank you for letting me dive deeper into your brain and your experience and our relationship I think that uh, that conversation was wonderful and I mean your your personality and your talent shine through um if anyone Uh, needs to have the same epiphany that I had around sales and needs to work with you, where's a place that they they can go to find out more? So on my website, metasan.com.au, and I've got an e-book about the five pillars for successful salespeople or successful sales team. Can't remember. Not a detailed person. Or I like to share stuff on LinkedIn as well, so they're probably the best two spots. Great. And we'll put the link in the show notes there for everyone who wants to quickly click straight through to that little download. That's wonderful. Great. Thank you so much for your time. Great to connect. I could talk for hours. (laughs) It's wonderful. I could talk to you for hours too. Half an hour goes so fast. I know, I know. Yeah. It's been lovely, Jackie. Thank you. Thanks again. Okay, Ush. Reflections. Yes. Oh, I was just really impressed with her knowledge, you know, and this really sense of knowing, right, and understanding of who she is and what she can do. And actually in, in EQ, the term that we, we use is personal power to, to explain someone that has that quiet confidence, that's really secure within themselves and isn't afraid to go out there and and showcase that. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, you know, that was the word that really, that really came up for me was that, you know, in a, in a knowing about who she is and what she can do. And, and I think not only just the inner knowing of what she can do, but more about what she can bring for others. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when she was reflecting on, you know, when she was so young and she got almost like headhunted for that role just shows, you know, how valuable she was in terms of service to others and her ability to really, you know, go in and so easily just look at things and change practices. It was almost like, you know, um, you can see pieces of the puzzle that should be fit together better. And, and again, that goes back to your personal power. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a really great way of thinking about it because that's certainly how she presents, you know, she often talks about her childhood as well and I think that analysis has helped her to more deeply understand who she is and what her strengths are because just reflecting at some point in her childhood she would have looked around and realised how different she was but to not have gone into anxiety or what's wrong with me or those sorts of things but instead go well 
there is a way that I fit here and, in fact, I've got some great strengths, whereas, you know, my siblings are doing really well at school and I just can't keep up with them and, you know, I, I think differently from the rest of my family. Mm. At least she couldn't say she was adopted because she's a twin. <laughs> so she yeah. would. Yeah. She had that security. But, yeah, I think that there's a lot of power that's come through from working out who she is. Yeah, and I think also, like you said, you know, the challenges that she would have, you know, been faced with to accept being, you know, I did a post on it the other day, you know, I feel sometimes a bit of an outcast with certain things. So almost like, you know, you are a bit of an outcast. You're not the same as the people around you. And then you're you know, stepping into this career where, you know, you're probably also, you know, teaching men like, you know, she did when she was so young in that role, that first role, you know, how to sell and generate these sales and, you know, the, and she didn't talk about it a lot, but I'm sure there would have been challenges for her to have been taken seriously around that. And I was thinking, listening to it, that it's almost like she would have had to have the results speak the, the truth yeah. as opposed to her to, to keep bashing on about, you know, her skills because mm-hmm. the proof is in the pudding at the end of the day. Mm. And what had like 3.7 million or something yeah, like right. for a business that was pretty small as well. Mm. Yeah, you're right. No one can deny results when they're in your face that significantly. Yes. And I think she talked a little bit around um, particularly working men in with men in the IT industry and how she approached it very differently from how other salespeople had in the past. And I think that that is not only a different way of approaching it from a gender perspective, um, but also because of her emotional intelligence because she understood what those IT guys were like and needed because they were mm. a bit, little bit like her family as well. So, yeah, um, yeah understanding where people are coming from rather than because she did sort of say that salespeople are often, you know, live on the fringe of a business and mm. can sometimes side with a client more than the company itself. But she seems to have even just thought that through and to be able to articulate it again is part of her power because, and, and part of the strength in being able to train people. Because if you can't articulate and work out why and how things are done then mm. yeah yeah and I think just touching on what you said as well and I, I know that you know she mentioned it in the um interview but you know her ability to really connect with people because I think you know sales sales in itself is you know one thing but it's almost like it's the you know the cause um the results but to get to know what people need build that trust and that self-awareness around people is key, right? Mm, mm, mm-hmm. mm. And I think seeing her demonstrate that sort of changed my mind around sales too because sales was icky for me. Like mm. it was always that, well, my good work should demonstrate and sell itself, but it doesn't. You have to actually uh, talk about the value that you add, but you're not convincing someone to get something they don't need. You're actually assessing someone's needs and making sure you're meeting them. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. And it is, isn't it? It is changing that perception. I think as business owners, 
you know, we can sometimes get lost in that trap. I know I did of just selling because it's what your business has to do. It's got to, you know, generate revenue and all of that sort of stuff. But why are we selling if it wasn't for the money? Like what, like she said, what are we, what are we solving? What problem are we solving? You Mm. know, and how do we communicate that in the best way? Um, Yeah. To the client. It's funny. It's, it's timely, this interview actually, because, you know, being one of the exercises I've been doing with my business has been, you know, what is the heaven and the hell of what I do? Mm-hmm. So what do we offer people as the heaven? And if they don't have it, what is the hell? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it's part of the exercise to get to know your audience and customer for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and for leaders, their team, because reflecting on an issue I have in my team at the moment, I can really see how little emotional maturity this staff member has had and how much I've been extending myself to meet her needs. And when I started withdrawing that because she had, I'd put an other support around her, she almost, well, flipped out because I wasn't there providing the same support and reactions that I had for a couple of years Mm. and I until I've been reflecting on it with a little bit of space had really thought well I should have done things differently I've really caused this situation blah 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 you know of course again blaming myself which is what we do when we internalize everything but um, I've been able to go well actually there's a bigger part to play and I can't solve and change everyone and meet everyone's needs. People need to do that for themselves. Absolutely. Did you find it liberating after that self-reflection? A little bit, but I still find it frustrating that I couldn't fix it. (laughs) So I'm still internalising a little bit because I'm like, but I should be emotionally intelligent enough to help teach people to be. But no, that's your responsibility, not mine. What, what, yeah, great awareness, though, just there, right? Just even in this little conversation about it. And it just shows, right? Like, you know, EQ, as we've spoken about, it's just so holistic. Like, it's not only, you know, about understanding ourselves, but it is around, you know, the better we understand ourselves, the better we can really empathize and understand the people around us, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Mm. Hey, great idea that I just had for you. Mm. <laughs> You know what would be great if you could prepare like a little checklist of questions when we're interviewing candidates to assess their their EQ because I don't want to accidentally hire someone with low emotional intelligence again. <laughs> yeah, good idea. There are there's some really good EQ questions. Yeah, we'll put that together and read it out. Just giving you more work. <laughs> In there, done that. Worn the t-shirt, washed it, and worn it again. the t-shirt's gotten ratty yeah 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 but no she's amazing I just think you know that it's just such a strong sense of self-awareness right about who she is and Mm. and maybe I think she was almost probably forced into having that self-awareness because she knew she was different Mm -hmm. isn't Mm. it when Mm. you know that you're you've got skills or certain things that are different to the people around you Mm. makes you look within a little bit more Mm -hmm. why is that Mm. yeah yeah 
I I agree. I think that's the biggest thing that I've taken from a deeper conversation with Fran. Um, and I think, she, I, you know, as a child, she probably got those indications. Even her twin told her that she was dangerous uh, at that point. But Fran took it as something to be interested or curious or proud about rather than taking offence to it. If someone told me I was dangerous as a kid, I would have shrunk and just (laughs) tried to change myself or something. But uh, no, she embraced that. The other last thing that she sort of touched on at the very end was being able to have people around you who can call you out on your behaviour, particularly if you're spiralling, and being able to have those conversations safely and ahead of time with someone so that you're not offended when they do call you out and that you actually want them to be looking out for certain types of behaviour. So I've done that more recently but not quite directly enough. Again, with one of the people I've brought in as a business partner in reflecting with the problems that we've had in, with staff, I've said to her, look, if you see that I'm starting to overly people please or making decisions to meet other needs, other people's needs instead of my own, mm-hmm. just tell me. And she's been quite interesting for me as well. Actually, I might bring her on to the podcast and interview her because her background's quite interesting because one of the early things she said to me was, you know, what you want matters as well. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Having people around you like that is important. And I suppose that's what a coach does as well too, don't they? So. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the key things is to have that trust though with that person because you know that they're not telling you you know to hurt you or make you feel Mm. bad about yourself and I think you know that's again one of one of her strengths is that she's able to build that trust where you know she said that people open up to her and Mm. you know speak speak about their vulnerabilities and things and that's a really important skill to have when you are you know teaching people because as a coach you're moving them through a little bit of that darkness right as well their barriers and their blocks and you know why they're not able to do what they want to do and if you don't take that advice or you know that person pisses you off then um, that's something you need to look within as to why Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly it's nice to reflect it's a little bit of a different like um topic that we've had for a little while but yeah in a way timely because we've pulled out exactly what we've needed from it (laughs) Yes, the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's great. It was really good interview. Just like I said, just to see that you know confidence and personal power and and that whole thing that you know it's okay to be different and you know really leverage your strengths Mm -hmm. and build an incredibly successful career Mm -hmm. out of that. Mm. You know. All right. So for you, in the coming little while, other than your move and the escape from the mold. What's on the cards? Yeah, so I'm running my, well, I'm running my first public webinar today, mm-hmm. um, which we've got a series of three. And it's something I've been wanting to try for a while just to see how it works. Um, you know, small, intimate groups and amazing clients, and your clients as well. So that's happening today. And it's on the topics all about 
emotional literacy. So why do we need to what we feel, especially as leaders? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, there's one each week for the next three weeks. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Good. So your voice is going to get better and better. <laughs> and if it's not, it's not. But uh, yeah. That's great. Well, I hope it goes really well because, as you said, it's sort of the first uh, free public-facing thing that you've done in this format. So It is. I was just going to be really funny because of this whole, you know, losing my voice business and, mm-hmm. you know, Gia being EQ coached and a bit woo-woo with me. She's like, Mum, she goes, I think you're not speaking your truth. That's why your voice is not coming out properly. She goes, what are you <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, like little mini coach at the age of 12. It's so funny. Yeah. Talk about uh, someone safe calling you out on something. (laughs) Totally. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I suppose you record the content and you can repurpose the content a million times and then you've got it as an evergreen as well so you can resell it later and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Mm. What about you? What's your week? like focusing on a couple more hires that I need so recruitment's a big focus again at the moment it's like a never-ending thing um and funnily enough we're also developing a webinar series so for the second half of the year we're going to run a four-part series and we're trying to get some sponsorship actually with either military or defense bank to put it out to their people and sort of have a very defense focus for those families, because there's four of us now in my business who are defence spouses and we're just like, we need to sort of help our defence community a little bit more. Oh, I love that. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be our campaign for the second half of the year. But, uh, yeah, exciting stuff. It is. It so is. So we would love to hear from listeners, reflections from Fran, insights that you've had if you want to join the conversation LinkedIn's probably the best place to do that we put the post up there but of course you can reach out to us directly Fran's details are in the show notes and also in the links on our webpage iqmeetseq.com.au and where can people find you directly Ush? eq.academy would be the best place yeah wonderful And if you want to reach out to me directly, it's Jackie at legallywisewomen.com.au. So, yeah, catch you soon. See you later.